0: Hello and thank you for joining us. This is Search for Truth and I'm John Martin. Over the last three weeks we've been looking together with Brian, our Bible teacher, at the similarities of salt to aspects of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. Today's talk's the fourth and final one of this series and Brian's given it the title, What a Sweet Savour. To find out more, let's go to Brian.
1: Thanks John. It's been claimed to be no less magnificent than the Egyptian pyramids. And last year I visited it, a subterranean world of labyrinthine passages, giant caverns, underground lakes and chapels, complete with sculptures in crystalline salt and all richly carved in salt rock with amazing detail. Where was I? I was in a salt mine. On the southeast outskirts of Krakow in Poland, a salt mine that had been worked for 900 years. It used to be one of the world's biggest and most profitable salt mines in the days when common salt was in commercial terms the medieval equivalent of today's oil. Today, in that Polish salt mine, visitors can walk underground for about 2000 meters in the oldest part of the salt mine and see its subterranean museum which all takes about three hours or so to do. Nine centuries of mining have produced a total of some 200 kilometres of passages, as well as more than 2,000 caverns of various sizes. The tourist route starts 64 metres deep, includes 20 chambers and ends 135 metres below the earth's surface, where the world's biggest museum of mining is located with its unique, centuries-old equipment. Occasionally, concerts take place in the mine's biggest chambers. The unique acoustics of the place have made hearing music there an exceptional experience. And there's even a sanatorium for the relief of those suffering from asthma and allergies. A sanatorium situated 135 metres deep underground. Why? Because of the purity of the air in this salty environment. All this, of course, is testament to the value and the health benefits, once commonly associated with salt, which makes modern trends to reduce salt and its sodium content in our diet seem a little strange by contrast. We all know that flavour enhancers play an important role in foods and drinks. Rather than adding an artificial flavour, they bring out or enhance the existing flavour of products without adding a new taste or flavour of their own. Flavour enhancers are used in a wide variety of foods, both sweet and savoury. For example, they can be found in soups, pork pies, sausages, crisps, snack foods, bread and cakes. Although it's not strictly classed as a food enhancer, one of the world's best known enhancers that's used widely is the humble grain of salt. Obviously, you can have too much of a good thing, which is where the modern health awareness campaign comes in pointing out that too much salt in our diet can increase our blood pressure. But it remains true that salt is a terrific flavour enhancer, helping to reduce bitterness and acidity and bring out other flavours in the food. That's the angle that we want to come from today as we bring to a conclusion this series on salt and biblical sacrifices which point us to the saltiness of the sacrifice of Christ. But we begin a long way back, at a time even before God had given a detailed set of instructions to Moses about the acceptable kinds of offerings. We're going back to the time of Noah, in fact to the very time when he emerged from the ark in which he and his family and representatives of all kinds of animals had just survived the year-long flood which had been sent by God to destroy the wicked ancient world. Noah at once expresses his gratitude to God Because we read in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 that Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. This is an important verse, as it's the first Bible mention of an altar, and also the first mention of burnt offerings. I'd like you to also notice that it says, the Lord smelled a sweet savour. We shouldn't confine our thoughts to the curl of smoke that rose from the altar then. God was appreciating, He was savouring the attitude behind Noah's actions. Had God not taught our first parents that sin required sacrifice? I'm convinced He did, when He made them coats of skin, even as He expelled them from Eden's garden. Skins imply animals had died sacrificially. Such blood had flowed for the first time in human history. It's a biblical principle that for sin to be forgiven, blood must flow. Besides, God would later, through Moses, show that when an Israelite wanted to make a vow of dedication or express his gratitude to God for good things received, he'd bring an animal victim for a sweet savour offering which would ascend as a soothing aroma to God in heaven from the altar. God savoured Noah's obedience, savoured his godly fear which had moved him in reverent obedience to build the ark at God's command. He savoured the devotion of this preacher of righteousness as he brought to God his sense of indebtedness, his thanksgiving offering, now that God's judgment was passed and they'd been brought safely through the water. But there was even more than that, even more that God savoured that day, surely. The Apostle Paul talks about Christ, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. That's in Ephesians 5. Did God not even then, in the day that Noah came out of the ark and offered his sweet-smelling sacrifice, did God not then look down through the centuries of time and see the ultimate sacrifice of his Son, who'd deliver all believers in himself from the wrath to come, from something even more fearful than a worldwide flood? Noah's godly fear, his reverence, his obedience were all pale reflections of the coming saviour of the world but they brought such pleasure to God in anticipation as he accepted Noah's sacrifice on that day long ago. You see we often concentrate on the physical abuse and agony dealt out to Christ as he died for us on the cross. Mel Gibson's film The Passion of the Christ focused on that and we shouldn't forget the physical side of course. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ who endured the cross, despising its shame, in all that God-forsaken darkness, in that indescribable experience that was his upon the cross. But the Bible doesn't really major on that side of things. The Apostle Paul talks about glorying in the cross of Christ. And that's in keeping with the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 where Peter, James and John are privileged to be on the mountaintop with Christ and see him gloriously transformed as Moses and Elijah appear with him. And the topic of that conversation on the holy mountain was all about the death Jesus was soon to experience at Jerusalem. God presented the cross there against a backdrop of glorious splendor That's God's view of the cross, from his vantage point. It's the pivotal point of history. It's central to all God's eternal purposes with the human race. The countless angelic hosts on high have been educated in all the ways and grace of God as a result of the cross. In the privacy of the darkened scene at the cross, when Christ gave himself utterly to accomplish all his Father's will, He was telling out the deep and eternal secrets of his heart's love for his father in that unique and testing way something we can only get a glimpse of as we read of abraham's sacrificial devotion to his god was this not a moment in eternity that was priceless to god reverently we suggest it was god smelled the sweet savor of the love the willingness the devotion and utter obedience of his son amid all that painful rejection by humanity. More than dying for our sins, Christ was offering himself to God. Throughout all eternity, the cross, meaning the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, will never lose its savor. When Paul spoke of the progress of the gospel, he spoke in terms of spreading the savor of the knowledge of Christ. Here's what he says in Second Corinthians. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Remember the words, sweet savor of Christ. That's what we're spreading abroad as we preach the Saviour's death to a dying world. It's the perspective every preacher should have, and ought it not to be the major emphasis of our worship times? Not what Christ has done for us, but what Christ means to God as discovered by us in the word it's ours to express in words which the Spirit gives the same sweet savour of Christ that God had anticipated throughout the Old Testament aromatic sacrifices. This is the sweetest aspect of the saltiness of the Christ of the cross. The cross will never lose its savour for God and needs no enhancement, not that that's even possible.
0: Thanks, Brian, for all your research and encouragement in the talks this series. Now, if you've been following the talks over the last few weeks and you have any comments or questions, then please contact us. If you've decided to become a Christian, then we would love to hear about it, so please share it with us. Finally, this is your last opportunity to get the free transcript booklet for this series. If you'd like one sent to you, or more for group study, or want to pass on to a friend, Ask for the title, Salt. And if you're using the post, here's our address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 9334, Leicester, LE41, 9FY, England. And the email address is sft at info. You can also find some past programmes and helpful material on our website. Just go to www searchfortruth.org.uk It's been a pleasure to have your company today. Thank you for the privilege. Now, we start a new series next week. I do hope you can join us. But until then, we give our very best wishes to you from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers, and from me, John. So goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you.